before we get started, uh, just bask in the, the joy of being out here. Uh, I've talked to so many different people over the last few weeks about, <clears throat> have y'all started going back, y'all started worshiping together again? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we've been doing this for a good while now. Oh, really? Where, where are you meeting? Where are you meeting? I said, we're meeting out at a farm. One of our deacons <clears throat> has a beautiful farm, and it's really nice. And they go, really? Yeah. I said, y'all ought to try something like that. You know, this was this was how the, the Reformed Church in the United States kind of got started. People, George Whitfield and others, uh, they would get out. They wouldn't do it right here. They'd be out there in the middle of that field over there. And, and how they were able to, maybe with a megaphone or whatever the case may be, they were able to, to preach the Word, not just once in a day, but maybe three or four times in a day, to literally thousands of people who would come just to hear God's Word being preached, not by George Whitfield or John Wesley or any of those, but to hear the Word of God spoken. And so this morning, um, I rejoice in the fact that we have a good crowd here this morning to hear God's Word, uh, to be part of this worship, and uh, to just simply sit in the beauty of the mighty artist God and what He has done for us to be able to, to worship here today. So with that being said, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for this morning. Thank you so much, God, for what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. How you've given us the gift of your Son, Jesus. A love that surpasses all love. <clears throat> and we ask you, if you would today, would you bless us uh, with a greater understanding of what the name Jesus Christ means to us and through the apostles creed when we say in G we believe in jesus christ his only son our lord guide us to an even greater degree to an understanding of just exactly what those words mean to each one of us today would you bless us now and, and be with us as uh, we hear your word be be with us holy spirit be with me as we speak and, and be with those who hear these words today Gather us unto you and, and bless us to that end, we ask. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to be looking at Romans 1, 1 through 6 this morning. Stand with me as we read God's Word. And this is the letter to the Romans written by Paul. And he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received, received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you are you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Here's a subject this morning I think that we could probably talk endlessly on. In fact, realistically, we could conceivably spend the rest of our days 
talking about this one particular subject. While we laid the foundation of our faith down a few weeks ago with I believe in God the Father, that's kind of the centerpiece of everything, we now get into the crux of our beliefs as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. To us who are here today or who might be listening this morning on the internet or who will listen at some point in the near future, this particular sermon through our, uh, our technology that we have, maybe you'll hear a sermon preached by someone on this particular subject. It doesn't necessarily have to be the one that I do this morning, but it always seems like there's a question once we hear this that does not need to be asked. After we hear a sermon on this particular subject, we think maybe we've got all of the bases covered. And yet there is so much that we learn about our faith in asking this one particular question and receiving an answer for it. And we use Romans 1 here today for our kind of lead-in scripture. I have to believe that maybe Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16. I hope you've got a sharp pencil and a lot of paper because there's a lot of scripture with this, as you can well imagine. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16 has to be in there as well. Jesus had come into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And of course, Simon Peter, the one who always talked first without necessarily thinking, but I think he had a pretty good idea this time. But Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The question here then begs to be asked to you this morning, who is Jesus to you? If you look at that passage in Matthew, you're going to see a number of people who really didn't know Jesus all that well, yet anyway, and they speculated basically as to who Jesus was when asked that question by him. Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, or, or others who had been well known throughout Jewish history. Or maybe it was John the Baptist, the new kid on the block, popular at that point in history. All thought they knew who potentially Jesus was. You know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how we oftentimes box God in as to His greatness. So we might be more on an equal level with God so that we might get a greater grasp of who God really is. Well, who is Jesus? None other than God the Son. But yes, many times, Many see Jesus as a man. The disciples were in essence saying here. And, and nothing more than just a man. What does John 1.14 say about Jesus? He is the Word made flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look in Colossians 1 verse 15. We're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In fact, add this one on to your list of reading for this week. <clears throat> Look at Colossians 1, 13 through 23. You're going to see more of who Jesus is in that particular passage. 
point here is that Jesus today is seen by many as merely a man, just like 2,000 years ago. Nothing more, nothing less. And because of that, we live in an entirely different world than we did even one or two generations ago. <clears throat> so with the way the world perceives Jesus in this day and time, it's not only imperative, but it is vital that we know, that we understand, that we are sure and certain of who Jesus is in our lives today. Well, what makes Jesus so controversial? Right off the bat, look at Acts 4.12. <clears throat> We're told here that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to uh, men which mu we must be saved by. Next to John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life statement by Jesus. That may possibly be the most controversial statement that anybody could make about Jesus, don't you think? You know what Jesus means? Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, where we heard that name before. And it means the Lord saves. Matthew 1.21, an angel tells Joseph, You're gonna, you are going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. How? By taking those sins upon the cross and he wore them for us. He bore them for us as in the days of the sacrificial system where the blood of animals took away the sins of the people on an annual basis, Christ's blood is an atonement for our sins once and for all. Titus 3, 3 through 7. To see what God did through His Son, I want to read this passage for you now. Y'all have that in your uh, thing this morning. As soon as I can get to it, we'll read it. Titus 3, 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. There's so many descriptive terms for who Jesus was, what He represents to us as His followers, even what terms we can use to define what He was to you and me. There are four ways that I want to briefly look at this morning of who and what Jesus Christ was to us that I want us, to, again, to look at. First is the Messiahship of Christ. Simply put, from His name alone, the Greek word Christos means, in our terms, Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. In the Old Testament, being anointed meant being set apart for a special purpose. Many thought throughout Scripture were anointed to be prophets, priests, and kings. 
The Jews had been looking for a long-awaited Messiah to lead them to freedom, but they were thinking freedom from Roman oppression. They weren't thinking about freedom from slavery to sin. Isaiah 61 foretells of Jesus Christ. Luke 4.21 in Jesus' first public ministry. He even says that the Scriptures, he was talking about Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 here particularly, are fulfilled that very day as he spoke. We know in John 1.29, John the Baptist recognized him as he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In our reading from Romans this morning, we see Paul in other translations making startling claims to the Jews of who Jesus was. Startling because not only was he talking to the Jews here, he was including to every, including everyone, Gentile and Jew alike. So you know this had to make the, the Jews a little bit uneasy as Paul, one of their own, is talking about salvation from another Jew, Jesus. For those who heard Paul's words, or the day are the, the words of every other uh, disciple or apostle of Christ, they were offered the free gift of salvation through Jesus, God the Son. Look at Acts 17, particularly verses 16 through 33. We see where Paul talks with men of Athens about their numerous idols, their altars, and their temples. Rome had close to 1,500 gods or idols with altars from which to worship at any time, any warrior. Here in Athens, it really was not much better. Think about that. 1,500 gods from which to choose from to worship at any point in time. But Paul reminds them of the one unmarked or unnamed altar of worship in verse 23. He basically says here, well, at least you got it right one time. But after talking with these people, most did not believe. They didn't want to hear anything else that Paul was talking about. Many were, were interested. They wanted to hear a little bit more as time went along. But some, some heard the first time and followed immediately. And that is how the early ministry promoting and who accepted the gospel, that's how it got started. Not everyone accepted it the first time they heard it. And many rejected it completely. It continues that very same way today. But if you look at one of the more difficult things the disciples had to accept, in fact, it's what separates believers from unbelievers today. Most times came in Mark 8.31. Jesus tells the disciples that he was going to have to suffer many things, that he was going to be rejected by the Jewish leaders, and then he was going to be killed only to be raised from the dead. Now, remember what Paul did, or Peter did? Peter took Jesus off to the side and says, Look, don't be talking like that. We ain't going to let this happen. You ain't, ain't nothing going to happen to you. And remember what Jesus says to him. Get behind me, Satan. You see, even as well as the disciples knew Jesus, they didn't grasp everything that he was saying. Not the first time, anyway. No wonder so many today have trouble understanding Jesus' Messiahship. 
John 20, 24 and on, Jesus tells Thomas, and he tells us especially in verse 29, you have seen me and believed. Good for you, basically. Blessed are the ones who have not seen and have believed. And of course, that's you and me. That's the crux of the whole matter concerning Jesus as Messiah. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Second was Jesus' human side. Jesus, as we know, was born of a human mother. We're going to look at her in two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. If you look to the very first verses of Matthew 1, you're going to see a complete genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Why was this done? To offer the Jews a bridge to Jesus if they would just accept Him as their Lord and Savior. And simply, even who He was as a human being, if nothing else. Look at our reading in Romans 1.3 where Paul says that Jesus was a descendant of David. If you look at the story of Jesus' conception, we see in as vanilla language as we possibly can do. Uh, again, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph through a dream, was told by an angel that Mary was going to have a child conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was given the name for the boy and it, that would be born to them. And that name, of course, we know to be Jesus. But Joseph, in verse 25, would have no union with her until after the birth of that son. And, of course, Joseph did as he was told. We don't see much about Jesus from the age of two until around the age of 12. We can surmise some things, though. We think that he learned the trade of carpentry from his earthly father, Joseph. Maybe it's important. We know that Jesus' earthly parents raised Jesus in the synagogue. He was what we might could have called a good, young, religious fellow. He learned from the rabbis, and he learned a lot from home as well, as, as was the Jewish custom back then. Much was learned about the church and all, or the synagogue, from, from home, from, from the mom. And he learned what every other good Jewish lad would have learned concerning God and the law, but then some as well. Remember what he did at the age of 12, why he was, went missing. He was in the synagogues talking with the rabbis, basically teaching them at the age of 12. That's what he knew. But if you look, look at Luke 22, verse 15, and he, he had a desire. To, uh, to have Passover with his disciples one last time. He was observant of the law of, of, of Judaism clear on up to the time that he died. We're let in on some of the human side of Jesus. When In John 11.35, we see shortest, by, uh, shortest verse in the entire Scriptures. Jesus wept. To me, that is one of the most powerful statements in all of the New Testament, in my opinion. We see Jesus' anger almost get the best of him in Matthew 21, 12, where he sees what's taking place in the temple square, and he, and he overturns the money changers' tables, telling them that they were making his father's house of prayer into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. He was hungry in the wilderness after 40 days. He was tempted while he was in the wilderness during that time. Yet, and this is what separates his humanity from ours, he never sinned. However, he experienced everything that we do so that he might know how we feel when we're confronted with joy, with sorrow, with anger, 
and with temptation. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Third, Jesus is to be viewed as the eternal Word and God's only Son. We used this passage a couple of weeks ago, but go back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 10 of John 1. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. And of course, they're talking about Jesus right there. You could go on forever describing Jesus' sonship here. John 1 really recognizes Christ for being the Word. When you get a chance, look at John 14 verse 8 and on where Philip and Jesus have a conversation concerning who Jesus was. The Father is in Jesus, and He is in the Father, John says, or Jesus says in John 14, 10. Two separate entities, Father and Son. Many years ago, there was, there was a great debate as to the divinity of Christ. Athanasius, this was back in the 4th century, stated that if Jesus is not fully divine, we are still in our sins. If Jesus is anything less than the eternal Son of God, co-equal with Father and Holy Spirit, then our salvation is worthless. It's meaningless. If He was not divine and yet equally human, how could He be crucified to the point of death on the cross and it mean anything? If that were the case, how then could He have paid the price for our sins? How could He be the perfect sacrifice? Two weeks ago, I referred you to chapter 4 of our Confession of Faith. I want you to look at the Confession again if you have the opportunity and look up chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator. I want you to read that carefully. There is statement after statement backed up with Scripture after Scripture. And yet it only scratches the surface of what we mean when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Christ's divinity and His humanity are central to what we believe about Christ to be true. I think Jesus' divinity and His resurrection from the dead are the two main sticking points for most people who don't believe. The New Testament on nine different occasions verifies Christ's divinity. It ascribes the attributes of God to Jesus there. The New Testament applies the names given to God in the Old Testament to Jesus, the I Am statements and all like that, as well as works and activities of both in the same manner. Think about this one for a second. As I was doing the work on this study, I, I, didn't, even, I didn't think about this before. But you think about how the, the Ten Commandments were so central to, to Judaism, the, the, the Jewish way of life, okay? And one of, the, one of the first, the first three are talking about God, no, uh, no other gods before me or anything like that. Look who the disciples worshipped. Jesus. Think about that. It's amazing. That right there should tell you there was something unique, something different, something divine about Jesus Christ. 
Interesting correlations, though, between the Old and New Testament, if you have the opportunity to look at them. Lastly, in the descriptive term concerning Jesus, we're reminded that He is Lord and Savior. You know, I hear that, that terminology oftentimes, but you need to stop and think about it for a little bit. Lord and Savior, two different things. Remembering Thomas once again in John 20. What did he say to Jesus after he touched the scars on his hands and side? Very simple confession, my Lord and my God. It's an essential confession for each one of us that we need to make about Jesus. Considering Jesus as Lord and Savior is, as I said, a twofold confession. You can't pick one and not pick the other. He must be acknowledged as both Lord and Savior of our lives. Now, let's break it down for just a second. We understand as Savior what He's done for us in the past, removing our sins, past, present, and future from us. But in order to live the kind of life that shows to the world that we truly believe in Him as Savior, He must be Lord of our lives on a daily basis. It isn't part-time. It isn't every other week or, or, or when we're here together at church. It is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, are we going to be successful 24-7? Hardly. Romans 3.23, I fall back on that passage a lot. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's where understanding that He is truly our Savior, it allows us to get up and attempt to meet Him each and every day because of His Lordship, knowing that we are forgiven. We learn the simplicity of the gospel and we strive to live it out each day to be able to glorify our Father in heaven and give the glory to Jesus for making it happen for us. But to get the full importance of this confession, simply look to Romans 10 verse 9. Paul writes here that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, four words, you will be saved. We are justified once through the Savior Jesus Christ. We are sanctified daily through the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. Understand from a different perspective, we're not saved by our obedience to the Lordship of Christ. That would make it a works righteousness and that is not what we believe at all. To see proof of that, look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no man can boast. We're led to obedience to the Savior Jesus Christ. And after, from then on, it is our willingly submitting to His Lordship. You see, it's two separate things. To that end, we must remember to say, my Lord, in your heart, before we can ever say, our Lord, in the, uh, the Apostles' Creed. There's a, really a whole lot more that we could talk about this morning, as I said. Things especially like the humanizing of Jesus that we see today, where some say that He was married and had a daughter. Many other religions today say that, that Jesus did exist. They don't have a problem with that. He existed as a teacher. He was a good guy. He was a good, righteous man. But that's it. They say he lived a good life. He died a quiet life. 
Maybe some will concede that, yeah, he might have died on the cross. I, I will give you that much. But he was not resurrected from the dead. That's where they stop it. He was asleep, or he was drugged, or he passed out, but nothing more. Remember now, this is where the Jewish leaders in the day of Jesus tried to get that one started. But really, all that does is attempt to, as we said about God, box him into something that we can grasp. We take the divinity of Jesus away and make him just human like you and me. But really all that attempts to do is, is make Jesus smaller. But it, Plus it takes the perfection of Jesus Christ away from him and makes him one of us. And that is not a positive thing at all. Even some folks who call themselves Christians today are preaching the fallibility of Christ. Makes him easier to sell in this day and time. Makes a version of sinlessness a little more attainable or achievable for the most part. And, and we, we can feel better about our sinful existences and not have to worry about changing our ways so much. But these things are heresies and they should be avoided at all costs. Make sure you understand that. There's another sermon on the way talking about all that stuff, so I'm going to stop right here and close. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Is He yours? He can be. He awaits us each and every day. Do we proclaim His divinity and His humanity daily? And do we understand why we do that? Do we pursue Him each day as we go about our daily lives? Or do we just put Jesus on the shelf and wait to pick Him up when we get out here again next Sunday? Today, the choice is yours. There may not be tomorrow. Let's pray again. Father, thank You. Again, we praise You for the simple words, yes, we believe that Jesus Christ is Your Son, Your only Son, and He is our Lord, but He's also our Savior. Oh, so much to learn. So much to study. So much more that uh, seems like every time we get a step forward, we feel like we're going two steps backwards in how much we know about Jesus. And yet we have Your Word, and we have the simplicity of the Gospel. So let us cling to that simplicity, but let us grow in the spirit, wisdom, and knowledge of your word daily. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.